Welcome to the Nehemiah Community Transformation Podcast. I'm Eli Steenlidge, Nehemiah's Director of Communications. On this episode, we are talking youth empowerment and leadership. Nehemiah staff member Andrea Dearlove and I sat down for dinner and conversation at a local restaurant with Ozan and Marlon Anderson. And how important is uh, food to these sorts of conversations? Oh my God. This is pretty important to me. So before this interview, you guys fed us. And we're still here talking to you. We fed ourselves. Hey, something. Before Jesus spoke on that mountain, he fed the folk. Sure. Yeah. He said, now that they good. Right. How are you going to listen on no. an empty stomach? Yeah, no. Right. How are you going to do anything on an empty yeah, stomach? Yeah, that's right. You can't listen, you can't think. You can't. Lauren Hill, I wore a shirt yesterday, Black History shirt with Lauren Hill on it, and she has a lyric that says, how you going to win when you ain't right with them? It's like, you got to yeah. be right, right with them, them, you know, to win. Including the stuff. She wasn't really talking about that, but <laughs> you, I, I feel like it applies. Ozan, or as many people may know her, Coach O, is Nehemiah's Director of Youth Development and Education, and her husband Marlon is a security assistant in one of Madison's public high schools. Both are passionate about working with youth in culturally informed ways. Eli, one of the things, honestly, I've been in my own pockets having snacks and things like that in there mm. uh, for the kids to come in there and you know grab a snack and yep. because sometimes the snack is because they're hungry mm-hmm. sometimes a snack starts the conversation yeah. you know what I mean yeah. sometimes a snack is getting my mind off of this thing that really made me angry mm-hmm. you know but it's community yeah you know it is it's communion. I mean, one of my biggest learns as a parent is simply, what's going on with this kid? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, they just need to eat something. There's mm-hmm. something, you know, they just need a snack right now. Yeah. And my kids get home from school and they're mm-hmm. like, why is it always crazy when they get home? Oh, we just need to get, feed them real quick. And then like, yeah. Put them snacks in your car. Yeah, right, yeah. We should know To give some context of educational conditions in Madison and Dane County, African-American children face some of the greatest educational disparities in the nation. This is not a new development, but was one of the first areas that Nehemiah identified nearly 30 years ago as a growing need as the African-American population was increasing in Madison. Nehemiah has been working from the beginning to fill the gap for African-American children by offering a culturally holistic approach to developing kids and youth academically, emotionally, and spiritually. One of, one of the ways that I'm really meeting students right now is through arts and crafts. Hmm. So it's Black History Month, and we have been insanely, just overtly, celebrating Black History Month at West. Andrea kicked off our conversation by asking what goes into Nehemiah's unique recipe for success with developing generations of black kids in the Madison community. I've been at Nehemiah for a year. Mm -hmm. From 2016, all I knew about Nehemiah was the history class. And then starting at Nehemiah, I learned like, oh my gosh, this organization is not just the history class. And I don't know how many people really know what Nehemiah is, the programs, but more than that, the people who create the programs and who are taking care of this community. And then I went to see you, Ace, mm-hmm. and fell deeply, madly in love <laughs> and saw you with those kids. You know, like the question is like, what keeps you guys showing up at West and what keeps you like if you, and I kind of asked you this when we met, but like if you could put together a recipe for what would raise a young black boy or girl to become a black leader. Like, and if you want to do it like chronologically, a da 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 da, but what is that? What would your vision for that recipe 
What would it be? So you mean pro programmatically Not or as parents? Just both and, right? Oh, okay. Both and, like anything, anything that you have access to, mm -hmm. right? Or that Nehemiah has access to, or that an entity can intervene or interject in some way and help help make that happen. I mean, I can take a shot at that. Um, how to, I don't know if you can train, I mean, I guess you can train leadership, but the environment gave birth to Dr. King. He grew up in a racist environment. He grew up in horrible situations. And something in him, the leadership gift in him, rose up and said, enough. We got to stop doing this. Um, my son, Noah, you know, I was like, you know, joke around knucklehead. But he, um, when I lost my job, he was the BSU president. And he, next thing you know, he's leading a march down the street, got like a thousand kids behind. That would have never happened if I never lost my job. So, unfortunately, situations create that determ that drive in yeah. you to push forward to become a to become a leader. Yeah. Um, especially when it's certain type of leadership some types of leadership you can go to college and you can learn it and you can run a business um but the type of leadership that births a movement um unfortunately it feels like it has to be birthed out of some pain some type of trauma so then if that like if leadership is born from adversity and one could make a really cogent argument that every young black and black girl and boy in, in Madison has to handle adversity on an hour-by-hour -hour basis, then you could say that that adversity presents an opportunity for each one of them to find an like, inner leader. You know, one ingredient that um, that was not mentioned in Marlon's analogy was love. You know, um, there's a lot of ways that we describe love, you know, and we describe it from an emotional standpoint. But from a biblical standpoint, the way love is described, love is patient, love is kind, love, love um, does not hold grudges, basically, you know. Um, love doesn't hold um you know account of wrongs all those different things love never fails you know all those different attributes really is leadership you know really is the mark of leadership so when you think about um when you think about all those pressures when you think about dr king and what kept bringing him to the table you know, what kept, you know, he could have quietly just stole away and just been him and his family, you know, but there had to be an inner drive. There had to be a love for the people that was placed there. You know, we talked about that leadership inside, but I think about even, well, another biblical leader, Moses. Babies were being killed. Mm -hmm. um, male babies were being killed by the score. But there was something inside that mother that mm -hmm. said no, you know, and all those provisions were made and then him raised in, in the king's house and all, I mean, we know the story, but in order for all those things to have taken place, there's an element of love in all those stories, yeah. you know? So when I think about Nehemiah, and I think about what Nehemiah has been for the last 30 years in this community. There had to be a love for the community. Yeah. There had to be 
something within the heart of Dr. G to say, I've got to do something. You know, I've got to, and not just I, but I have a vision. And that vision, I believe, was birthed out of love. Now, you know, we can say, you know, it was Dr. G's vision, but I believe the vision was bigger. I believe that God had a vision for the city and the people, and and he placed it, you know, in Pastor G, and it's now what it's called today. And not only, when there's a vision given by God, it doesn't have to be the owner of that vision to push the vision. There's a connection that's made because it will make connections with other people that hold yeah, yeah, yeah. that same vision and that same love, you know, for like you guys. I mean, it's your yes, vision. Exactly. Yeah. So that vision resonating and everybody that does programming, everybody that does administration, everybody that has taken the class and, and is now in some kind of way a soldier for the vision, you know, there has to be at the root of all of that, a love for the people, for the vision and for the mission, you know, and that looks different for everybody. Yeah. And it's definitely cultivated by the gift that you also hold. Yeah. Right? So that love mingled with the gift and you just, you just move and sometimes Effortlessly, you know what I mean. Not yeah. no, I take that back. Right, 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 Not right, effortlessly, right, right. but Naturally. it doesn't necessarily yeah. feel yeah hard like a gift. It feels like you yeah 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 being yeah. presented like you literally are the gift yeah you know so so if you were to say you know in in the natural system that we have in this country or in this city uh, that kids of color are not necessarily reaching their potential mm -hmm. maybe through that system so nehemiah and the ace program and the youth programs were created to to meet that sort of gap right mm -hmm. that was happening so what would you say from your perspective running ace for you know many years now mm -hmm. and and what it's what are like 13 years what are you, are your goals when you say we we serve some kids when they're in elementary, right? Mm -hmm. And then we see them go all the way through high school and then start in college and becoming adults. Mm -hmm. um, you've seen some kids move through that. What what's your goal for them that you're trying to fill in that gap, right? Mm -hmm. That what do you see as important in what you're doing um, that makes the difference that they're not getting when, when you're not involved like that. So, when I moved to Madison, I moved here, my babies were two, well, uh, Noah wasn't even two yet, Micah was non-existent at the time, at least on this side of Earth, <laughs> um, and Jonah was three years old. And so, when we moved here, um, we moved here from Milwaukee, and um very quickly it came time for our boys to go to school and i never really thought until the last minute oh my god i have to put my babies in somebody's school system i don't know this place i don't you know i wouldn't even know what school to send them to or whatever i didn't know the first thing um about what i was gonna do and when we moved here, we only knew a few people through the church, through um, Fountain of Life. Fountain of Life? Mm hmm Okay. Um, the, um, and so we had a very small community. And then when my kids got older, my youngest son, so, so we lived on the south side and their schools were Randall mm -hmm. and um, Franklin. Franklin. And so, um, as they got older, Jonah and Noah were showing just tremendous gifts, right? Uh, Jonah, uh, at the age of two, was reading. At three, he was a phenomenal artist at three, and I do not exaggerate about that. He was just amazing. Um, and to the point where everybody could tell, you know, it, it wasn't something that you had to search and look for and so 
my kids matriculated through these predominantly white schools and I was not aware that I should worry to the extent that I should have until they were uh, at Randall Elementary when I started uh, really seeing microaggressions and, and things of that nature at a younger age. And plus one of my sons was having um, reading issues there. So, but one thing that shined with both of them was their artistic talent. And this was right around the time that Colleen was wanting to start the, um, the prep school. So there was this big thing going on. There, was, there were all these programs that I never knew about. Um, the, the DLI program, there was, um, there was this, um, I forget what, oh, um, gifted students programs, all these things I never knew about. You know, no one took me to the side to tell me about it or anything like that. But they had this big thing where they would showcase kids' art down at the, um, what do you call that? Uh, overture? Children. The Overture Center. Yeah, okay. The Overture Center and uh, other places in the city. They would showcase kids' art and things like that. So I found out about it on the other side of it already being done. But then my sons were never asked to showcase their art and when I say to you that their talent should have never been missed it should have like in the in the area of art why my sons were not approached or their work wasn't shown yeah there shouldn't have been any reason why their they shouldn't have been approached at least in this particular um, area of giftedness. Yeah. That's when I began to see that my kids weren't seen and yeah. they were becoming lost in a system because there was no way if you knew my son right. that this opportunity should have skipped over. Yeah. And then when I saw the art that was showcased yeah. all the more so yeah. you know because I would say Jonah fell especially Jonah, as far as art is concerned, in the gifted and talented, um, you know, um, category. So time goes forward. Um, and I'm just kind of going with the flow of things. They matriculated through um, Randall. And so then here's my last son. This is Micah. Micah, and so my oldest son, he's more of an introvert. Noah, he was having, you know, um, some of the uh, reading issues and things like that. We were working through that. But Micah has always been, he's like a little social butterfly. Happy <laughs> all the time, you know, just happy to be here. Thank you for giving me space kind of guy. And so same thing at Randall, I went to a, um, a, um, a show for the kids. They were doing a music show, and I think it was during Black History Month, if I can remember correctly. And Micah's always been a singer, always been, he's, he's in theater now. And when they were performing, I saw, I saw kids playing the bells. I saw other kids with solos. I saw other kids doing other things. And I saw a lot of kids just, I don't really want to be right, a yeah, yeah, singer. Yeah. But my son is standing on stage singing with everything in him. Just like, he's just shining in the background. And at that moment, my heart caved because I, like saw with my eyes, it's almost like 3D is happening again. Like all those opportunities I saw the other kids playing the instruments, all of the, the lead roles, everything, none of it offered to my son. I'm seeing him in the background, literally the most animated kid back there, just Shining. happy to be there. And no one sees him, no one sees him. And I'm sitting there 
broken because I feel like I was complicit in sending my children to places that could not see them, that would not equip them to shine, that did not see them like I saw them. So that day, I pulled my son out of that school. Whoa. Now on the background, other things were happening. I never had behavioral issues with any of my sons. I never had, you know, teachers never had problems with them. But when he got to this school, um, he had a brand new teacher and he was always in trouble. Like he always, the teacher always had something to say. He always, you know, um, and so then my son would come home and he would say, I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to. And I just literally started seeing the light fade from my son's eyes. And he was, he was the last one. And maybe I didn't pay as close of attention with my two older sons. Um, but this was just really um, hurtful, you know, to me. And I just did not want to gamble with him. I didn't feel like you know, I was gambling with his education. I felt like this is my son's life, his whole outlook on life. So when I had him in school, like I remember uh, at the beginning of that school year, I told the principal when I met the teacher, she's not a good fit for my son. She was, uh, she was a first year teacher. She was too young. She was a white teacher. I could tell from her presence how she spoke to me that she was not going to be a good fit for him. Um, and that's because I had two sons that matriculated. I'm also an educator, but I saw these issues. I did not. Um, I I did not push hard enough. I was ignored. He stayed in that class, and these were the issues that I had gotten afterwards. So my last draw, it was my last draw was the um, the concert that I told you about, but. The extra last draw prior to that is when the principal called me. Now, mind you, he knows me. He knows my other two sons. I had a relationship with the principal and the school, did popcorn for the school. But he calls me and he tells me that my son, I don't even remember the incident, but he's saying that my son did all these things on the playground, basically that my son was being a nuisance in class and this and the other. And this is a principal call. And I say to him, I never got a phone call from a teacher. I never got, if, if we had these issues, I never got um, an email from the teacher but I'm getting a principal call, a principal that knows me, mm -hmm. a principal that knows my sons and also knows that my sons have never been problem children, but also I asked you to mm -hmm. give me a different teacher yeah. for my son at the very beginning, you know? And so at that point, I'm just operating right now as a parent, not necessarily as an educator. At that point, I'm um in survival mode you know how can i save my son from this you know and i at rant no 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 franklin elementary um my sons all of my sons uh kindergarten teacher miss barb rubin <laughs> i would say she has she is the teacher of all teachers the queen <laughs> bee of teacherhood <laughs> She is still my friend on Facebook. She still checks in with me, but she literally, my kids in her class or not, has followed and checked in on them from the very beginning. And she would say to me, Ozan, because she uh, started working at Lincoln, Ozan, please bring, him, bring Micah to Lincoln, bring him here, Lincoln had more diversity. We've got so we got we have good programs, this, that, and the other. And I said, okay. So I enrolled him at Lincoln, and my son's light reappeared yeah. back in his eyes. And I 
my son will be graduating from West High this year, and I do believe it is because I made that decision to move him out of the toxic environment that he was in, um, of not being seen, you know, of being targeted as a stereotype of being a part of a system that is complicit with the way it always was, yeah. the way it always will be. Um, so I will say, I forgot what the question was, but... So let's, if you had, <laughs> like, if you, the kids that you see at ACE, yeah, where you see them, you see their light, you see their magic, you know where they're going to go, Mm -hmm. in September mm -hmm. and you know that not every parent is an educator or knows the people that you guys do or knows that you can even take your kid out mm -hmm. or how to know if like this teacher is going to be good for my kid or not because they don't have the opportunity to meet the teacher mm -hmm. I would say that's I would say to every parent that you have every, every opportunity you know if I were to go back and talk to young parent, Ozan, I would say push the envelope. I would say talk to who you need to talk to. As Coach O, do you have an opportunity to interact with the parents of the kids in the context of Nehemiah's, of what you do through Nehemiah? I do. Okay. Yeah. But I would also say though, there is no such thing as you can't talk to the teacher. Right. There is no such thing as you can't can't talk to the, even the superintendent. You have every right to be a part of your child's education. The I believe part of the system is is making parents feel inferior, making them feel as though there's no place for them in the system. Um, but you absolutely can. You absolutely can advocate for your child. You absolutely cannot, uh, if you chose, go to a five-minute conference and demand to see your child's uh, uh, Spanish teacher. Can you make 10 minutes for me? Can you meet me on a Thursday? I can't make it there on your assigned time. I can make it there at this time. You know, you absolutely can advocate for your child. You absolutely can't advocate for yourself. And I would say that's one of the things that we um, endeavor to teach students through Nehemiah K-12 programming is to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And to see yourself um, as a leader, as worthy, as, um, as someone worthy of your own time. Because Again, if my son did not have advocacy, his identity was at risk in these spaces that do not include the brilliance of black of blackness in students that do that do not make room for diversity. So it's, 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 it's a simulate or die, honestly, you know, and so the role that I'm in now in the schools and also my role at Nehemiah, um, I'm advocating for, you are divine just the way you are. There's no need for a simulation. There's no, Madison is the champion of assimilate or die, honestly. You know, assimilate or not succeed. It's the champion of it. Um, I did not know as an early mom how to advocate for my sons in this system. If I had to do it all over again, my two sons would not have gone to that school as well. Like you, the assumption is 
these spaces want to do what's right for my children. These spaces are good. It's school. It's good for my children, you know. And so students don't know how to come home and say, um, mom, I was made to feel bad right. when I had to read in front of these students. They don't know how to, they don't know how to call microaggressions. They just feel it. You know what I mean? They just, and they internalize yes. it and they, and they, um, they create these identities based upon the norm. Yeah. They create the inferiority complex based upon this is the norm. Yeah. This is what I see all around me. Same thing what I was saying about our student council situation, you know, no student of color will feel invited and welcome in a space that you say this is the norm yep. and that norm doesn't look like me. It doesn't sound like me. It doesn't walk like me. It doesn't talk like me. You know, this is not a welcoming space. What we do with Nehemiah, as far as K-12 is concerned, is we, I kind of see us as an oasis in a, in a space Where, where, where we don't even have to really have those conversations about inclusiveness because because you already know you belong here. You know, every year when kids come back to ACE, it's like a family reunion. It's, it literally is like going to a family reunion. You haven't seen your family all year and everybody is so excited and elated to be together again. Do we have fun? Of course. Do we learn? Of course. But I really do believe a large part of it is it's back together again. You know, it's really like, oh, this is a space that I can be. That I can be. I don't have to um, code switch. I don't have to worry about um, I don't have to worry about am I enough in these spaces I can just be in these spaces and when we're talking about approaches to learning when we're talking about um, that beginning spot when you're ready to learn environment is everything environment sets the stage for learning. So if your environment is hostile, if your environment is constantly telling you that you don't belong in your unborrowed space, that's already a hurdle to jump over before learning can begin. So I hope somewhere in there I'll answer yeah, the question. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and I think sort of um, what I'm seeing is whether <laughs> you always love the situation or how hard it is, mm -hmm. um, both of you are in, uh, in positions to both affect uh, individual kids' lives, right, through the ACE program or um, working through the church. Mm -hmm. and some of these youth programs, you are awakening those things in these kids to say that's okay to be who you are, mm -hmm. right? And not assimilate. Mm -hmm. But then you are also now in the actual schools, mm -hmm. in the system working from the inside out to demonstrate and say, hey, here's how things could look different. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to talk to these kids, I'm going to treat them, I'm going to love them, mm -hmm. um, and that's going to show you something different than what you're doing. So I think uh, that's pretty powerful to be able to work on both ends. Because mm -hmm. in some ways, um, I think some people could hear like, okay, well, we can, we can work with the kids individually, but can we even change that system, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's just, we can teach them how to be empowered and leaders, but not like they can just operate in the system the way it is, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know if you have any other 
thoughts on what you want to see happen through that or what what you are doing maybe on the school side or or working together in both I'd like to hear more about that well on the school side I'm right now I'm able to be in the hallways um, in the immediate I'm able to be a voice a familiar voice saying go to class <laughs> you know um, but I'm also able to represent somebody that has a, a larger expectation for you um, I'm also able to I don't I think I think my presence alone is not the norm so just you know for maybe the bright colors kids have mentioned that i've been called a highlighter um yeah from the bright colors to the to me expressing myself that it's okay to be me right to not be afraid to be myself in these spaces i feel is also messaging you know um but also um i'm able to i've been given the freedom to make statements you know in the space the way the environment looks you know welcoming creating welcoming spaces creating dialogue uh with students um and also being able to have that space to talk to parents and to see kids after school or before school. Um, those, it's amazing how 10 minutes can make a world of difference um, in a kid's day, you know, by shaping perspective shaping or, or or seeing again I'm back at the scene I see you I see that you're not looking like you did yesterday you know uh, let's take a moment let's let's have a conversation um, some some things I'm able to see with um, and, and this is even on an elementary level some things I'm able to see especially with uh, students, especially with black students that other eyes aren't able to see. You know, um, there was a situation where I'm walking down the hall, there's educators in the hall, and there was a, a young black girl. This was, this was, I believe, at Lincoln. There was a young black girl. Um, something was going on with her hair and I heard another student say something, right? Now, she, the way she said it, it was coded with a, I knew what she was saying, the child knew what she was saying, the educator had no idea what was being said, and it was a very hurtful thing, you know? So these kinds of things, I was able to just one look, one, uh, one gesture, to the child doing harm and it was understood you know um so these spaces being disrupted by intelligence by cultural intelligence is so important in order to change the narrative even with our students you know um it's it's amazing i'm putting up a poster just two days ago and i'm putting up a poster with a student another student standing on the other side of me in seconds there's an argument that ensues but because i'm in the space and i have a relationship with one of the students there's another narrative taking place. There's a, um, I'm able to talk the other student down from maybe not going as far as the student wanted to go. 
and even having being able to have a converse a further a furthering conversation but also i have an expectation that you rise above this you know without those relationships i can't I can't speak into that situation. You know, my words will just fall flat because I haven't invested in you as a person. Yeah. You and know? that's one of the biggest, I guess, game changers is in building relationships with students um, is one, you could say go to class or you could say, let me walk you to class. And that walk to class means a lot more to a child than me telling you just go to class and then you send them off and they may go to class they may not yeah. but if i walk you to class that might be a conversation of you know why why i see you in the hall all the time mm -hmm. what's really going on are you understanding what the teacher's saying do you need some extra help something going on do, are you feel are you free to talk if you if you don't want to talk to me i can point you in the direction of somebody that you can trust who do you trust and I'm while I'm walking them to class, I'm having that conversation. And that that's the kind of stuff that kids remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I always tell Ozan when I was in high school, had a teacher, Mr. Troutman. He was never my teacher. Mm -hmm. I knew him and he stays in my memory because I was a class clown. <laughs> and I was yelling during passing time. I was yelling down the hallway at my friends and I was talking about his mama. He says, excuse me, young man, can you come here? I said, man, I got to go to class. Leave me alone. I was being as rude as I can to him. Rude like he the said, kids. Just like the kid. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, sir, just one moment. I need to talk to you. What's your name? I said, Marlon. Marlon. <laughs> and he's like, so what that interaction you just did, because I went to the School of the Arts. He said, right now I'm teaching my students, my, my, my theater class, how to project their voice. No one's getting it. You did it perfectly. Stop it. So he said, what is your major? And I said, I'm arts, I'm in visual arts. And he was like, I'm sure you're amazing, but you may have a gift to work in theater. So I'm just saying, I would love to be your teacher, but I'm gonna let you go to class. And he left and I walked away thinking like, Oh wow, I could do theater. Your and son's doing it instead. My son's doing it, but I did do theater. Later and on, it wasn't a hey you. Exactly. It was a walk. It was a conversation, mm -hmm. and he 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 sowed a seed in my life. Mm -hmm. And I did I did theater before. Now my son's doing theater. Mm -hmm. My wife did. Th we all connected in the arts. Yeah. And when he did that, I don't know if he knew how powerful that was. But like I said, he was never my teacher. But I remember his name. I have yeah. teachers that were my teachers. I can't remember their names. Mm -hmm. But I can remember that man's name. And that, you know, that's that's the kind of moments that I try to create mm -hmm. every day. So. When it comes to dealing with humans, I mean, sure, if you want to figure out the cure for COVID, innovation is awesome. Mm -hmm. But when you want to figure out humans love is not innovative yes um it actually is today. well then for yeah you're at right <laughs> today it is that's the right yeah yeah um and so like the secret sauce and the stuff to replicate and the things to sustain are two human beings who genuinely love these kids and have experienced love and love their kids and know what it's like and know how to see it and know how to replicate it and know what it means. When you think about how to make a, and a, like if you were sitting down with someone who had the potential to offer millions of dollars I mean, I want to be able to say this is not short-term work. This is not big numbers at a time. This is longitudinal, steady, interpersonal, love-based work. And if this is something that you believe in, just fund it in large capacity for a long time. Make it so that ACE can have as many kids and as many um, counselors that you pick as possible. And so that there are, you can hire a, a team of 
former West students to work with you and be those people in the halls and the schools and connecting, but it's, and having the people there from kindergarten through high school so that someone knows if there's not a safe place, there's a safe person who creates that place. There is, <laughs> I kind of feel spoiled with Nehemiah because all of our work on leadership development, you know, all of our transformative work um, with the focus on leadership development, the, and again, leadership being a component of love, leadership being like a, um, like even a description of love. The, what I'm lacking seeing in our education system, funny enough, is leadership development, is literally coaching students how to lead themselves, um, transforming the face of leadership. The, but I'm not just seeing that lack with students, I'm seeing that lack with how we engage and interact, even as adults in this work. Um, there are, there, there is so much focus and so much, our movements as a collective is reactive and not proactive. So we build programs to help kids get out of the hall. We build programs to, um, you know, teach kids how to read after we've been telling them for generations to look at pictures. We, you know, we do all this reactive work and we don't focus on and, and I'm talking like collectively big speak. We don't focus on the work that it takes to be ready to learn. Um, in early childhood education is my background. Approaches to learning. How do we get kids who are at home ready to learn? The, the things like, um, uh, having a bedtime routine, the things like, uh, you know, uh, making sure that you read to children every night. Those, though, there are practical things that are done to instill habits in children to prepare them to go to school. Um, but our curriculum, our values, all these things are literally built in a system for an outcome of all these other things except the wellness and the welfare of the whole child. So what I mean by that, how that plays out is um, we, we, one thing that just annoys me tremendously is the fact that we build these classrooms and we have all these desks and we sit all these kids in these chairs and we teach this curriculum and then then zoom on another uh, conveyor belt comes a whole other you know group of class and they sit in the same chairs and the curriculum is taught and the teacher stands in front and there's all these kids then boom another you know like all day this happens never mind that you may have three children in that classroom with ADHD. You may have another child in that classroom that learns better with their hands and um, 
everything you just said just went in one ear and out the other. You might have another child in that classroom just had a really, really, really bad day and they just cannot focus. You may have another child in that classroom that's homeless and they got bigger fish to fry. And at the end of the day, your two plus two doesn't make a difference because you have not met that child at the most basic level of human interaction in that day, you know? And it's not the teacher's fault. It's not the janitor's fault. It's not, it's, it's a system that's created to herd children like cattle. Like their only job during that day is to give you milk, you know? And maybe that one cow didn't get the grass because all the other kids hoarded the grass and that one cow just cannot produce milk today, you know? So rethinking our systems, rethinking how we're doing this work, it's, it's just, we don't want to put, we don't want to pause and say, wait, this is not working. Let's figure out what can work, you know, for students. One thing that can't continue to work is that we're shoving 30 kids on one teacher and, and that teacher's main job is to meet a quota and doesn't have time to build relationship with those all 30 of those kids. But we are innovative humans and we can sit down if we want to and say, okay, put it all back on the table. Let's figure this out. How are we going to do this different? And so, and, and that's what causes programs like Nehemiah, you know, like Avid, like people, like all these different programs to, to have to kind of step in and say, okay, how can we share? some of this load how can we you know those parts that's missing what can we contribute to that if it, if it's, if it, if we can help last year we had 120 students on our roster so if we can help 120 students this year yeah. that's 120 students that have been impacted by our program yes you know and that's innovative yeah yeah and I think no. to Andrea's point that uh, what people don't often see, what is not flashy, mm -hmm. is that you need resources also to develop ways to change those systems, yes. right? Like you mm -hmm. need the ability to have space to um, to create new things and, mm -hmm. and envision how it could work. And Nehemiah also values that what you're all saying is you now have the experience sending your own kids through the school, mm -hmm. working with kids mm -hmm. for 13 years in that official capacity in the schools. You can now um, use that knowledge mm -hmm. in, in very efficient ways. And But you also um, need that space to train other leaders mm -hmm. with that. Absolutely. Right? And like I said, we need... Um, availability of coaches so you can pass that along mm -hmm. and that's how we can multiply this. yes um, because yes you're doing a great work but it is it does have to stay personal yes to love people so we mm -hmm. can be able to train them. just another exactly yeah. exactly and it has to and and it has to be partnerships you know what i mean i i feel like this year maybe a little more i don't know because i i wasn't around or, I mean, none of us were around, like, 2020. Um, but there uh, there has been a change, at least as far as I can see, in the institution's um, willingness to accept help from, um, you know, uh, community organizations and things like that. I've seen a change. That's huge. Um, and that, that is huge because that's another part of innovation to be able to admit that you can't do it all, 
to be able to say, okay, let's partner, you know, let's, let's partner in this work, let's share resources, that kind of thing. So, um, that, that is another, um, leg of this is that no one entity can do this generational work alone, you know, um, and there's value in in sharing that load and that willingness and that absence of competition when we're all wanting to be the village raising the child, you know. So, so it's you know it it's a blessing when we see ace kids coming to West, and I'm like, boy, you used to be little. How you get so big? And you know it's like. But it's like, for some reason, those aren't the kids that we see in the hallway that we are <laughs> that we're having issues for with for some reason. For some reason. But they also know if they have a need, they'll come looking for us. But they also know if I see them in the hallway. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's like they already know their love. Yeah. They they already know it's been established. They come in the you door. Expectations. Oh, yes. You. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Wow. Absolutely. So you know, well, um, coming in class, look. Oh, I was just late for class. I'm like, okay, why were you late for class? Mm-hmm. I said, what's really going on? You know, and I've had that conversation with uh, one young man, and he just laughed. I said, yeah, we laughing now. <laughs> you know, I call. I got your mama number in the phone. I call your mama, and he like, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So yeah, but that's that's how it is. You build when you love a kid, you love the family. Mm-hmm. And when you have that connection, that kid knows that I'm not a snitch, I'm an asset. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we got kids that say, Oh, you a snitch, you told my mama. But there are other kids that'll know that I, oh he gonna tell my mama because I know I shouldn't have did that. And he's going to hold me accountable. Yeah. So it's it's a different perspective once you have a relationship. Another word for love. For real. I would also say long term, having space to be authentic, to to really, and that's for children. Yeah. Is is something that I would say Madison needs. So I know that we are, um, I know that the African-American um, Cultural Center yep. is being built and there's going to be um, programming in there for youth, space for youth and everything. And I think, I think that's been a long time coming. I can't wait to see the fruition of... Space should be run that. out. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see that. Um, but... I don't, I don't want to say but, I would say and, more spaces um, that, because one thing, let me say this, I'm, and I'm saying this out of this heart, there's a lot of work that I wish I could do that I can't do on school turf um, because the space doesn't afford the the time or the um privacy is the wrong word energy um it's it's not necessarily energy but um there i mean there's there some of the things that we do at ace some of the games some of the um the way we communicate those those times like like what you saw at um when you came to visit ace those high energy spaces those those times where um you have older youth being able to mentor younger youth when a bell is managing that space it becomes less authentic you know what i mean it becomes micromanaged and how much heart space you can spend with students so 
I'm hoping or I'm looking forward to having space like that where it's not necessarily managed by the same systems that got us here in the first place, you know, um, and where learning can happen innovatively, where uh, you don't have to there's not this expectation that if learning is going to happen, kids have to sit in 30 desks or, you know, um, being able to create, have creative learning spaces that kids are learning because they, because they want to and they're having fun and not because there's a quota, you know, to meet, you know. Um, and so we do, we are creating some of those spaces on school turf, but just just the practicality and, and logistics of some of the some of the rules that we must follow, it doesn't necessarily allow us to just spread our wings, you know? Yeah. So Thank you for listening to the Nehemiah Community Transformation Podcast. Go to Nehemiah.org to find out more about Nehemiah and our Justified Anger Initiative, which works to eliminate racial disparities by developing relationships, solutions, and systems.